Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today I'm going to be chatting to you about taking a brand massive and I've got a special guest from CB Plus for you. Hayley, your first podcast. It is indeed. And tell us who you are. Okay, uh, so I'm Hayley. I'm co-founder of CB Plus. Yep. Um, my background is primarily from the booze trade. So I spent a lot of time selling wine and gin, which is obviously exciting. Uh, meant a lot of travel around the world, which was great. Um, and then more latterly, I've been uh, working with Tim, who's my co-founder on developing the CB Plus brand. And we've been working in the CBD space for the last sort of three, three and a half years. Tim, a little bit longer than myself, actually. So how, how does that happen? How did you transition from wine and gin to... CBD? Uh, well, so Tim and I, we actually met back in 2008. So the wine company I used to work for actually used Tim's marketing agency to handle all of the consumer activation, okay. especially around the 2009 Lions Tour of South Africa and the 2013 Tour of Australia. So him and I knew each other uh, way back when. And then in 2015, Tim was actually um, approached by a CBD company from the Czech Republic who wanted to use his company to market them in the UK. Um, they didn't kind of have, they didn't have a team on the ground. So they actually brought me in to help on a freelance basis with con some consultancy and sort of sales strategy, et cetera. So we kind of got ingrained in the CBD world back then and um, forward fast a couple of years, we decided uh, we could see the opportunity. Uh, there was definitely a, a gap in the market for somebody to uh, make CBD accessible to the mainstream consumer, and we yeah. wanted to take it. Nice. I like that. So I guess for the uninitiated, what, what is CBD? Oh, okay, CBD, the science, the science bit. So CBD, it's, it's a cannabinoid, uh, which is a part of the hemp plant. Um, there's lots of cannabinoids that are found in the hemp plant. The, the two most prevalent are CBD, which is becoming far more well-known now. And the second is THC. So THC is the psychoactive, or is the, C, is the component, sorry, that's um, responsible for the psychoactive high if you smoke the good stuff uh, or wacky-backy or however you want to refer to it. Yeah. So there's THC and then there's CBD. So the two, um, they're found naturally in the hemp plant. Um, there's normally a little bit of THC that's um, found when CBD is derived um, out of the plants. But um, with all the sophisticated development in extraction processes over the last few years, it means that you can now get 100% CBD isolate from the hemp plant, meaning there's no THC. So it's completely safe. It's completely legal. Um, it's not going to make you high. It's uh, definitely not going to make you hallucinate or anything else that you might read spuriously on the internet. Um, and you can great get some really, really great benefits from it. Great. So obviously you use the product yourself, okay. which I think is important <laughs> for one. But uh, tell me about the benefits you've you've had. Um, so benefits I've had. So we, we've actually built a brand that's um, designed for active people. And I'm definitely on the amateur end of the uh, of the active people scale. Um, definitely, just to clarify that. But I've spent my life um, as an adult doing triathlons, marathons, um, lot CrossFit, running, swimming, cycling, you name it. I love being outside and being active. And, and with that comes a whole array of sort of different challenges from muscle fatigue and soreness just from training every day, um, falling over, abrasions, cuts, 
um, niggles, strains, um, you know, tissue damage, things like that. And I always used to be searching for or reading magazines and trying to find something that would speed the recovery up or help me just get a little bit of an edge on a performance. And, you know, I've, I've massaged magnesium oil into my body. I've taken beetroot shots to um, reduce lactic acid buildup and all these kind of things. So for me, when I was learning about CBD, um, I was really intrigued in, in how its benefits could help me topically. So help my body repair from, you know, open wounds, if I've, you know, fallen over running or something, um, and also from kind of muscle tiredness more than anything. So I've been quite fortunate that I've never had anything major, um, you know, happen to me injury wise. And, and actually, since I've been using the products, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably in the best, best shape, not physically, but the best shape um, in terms of fitness of, of my life, which is great. So um probably the hero product for me is actually the cbd massage oil and i just find that really helps it's super moisturizing on the skin as well so it creates a really nice kind of elasticity which i've noticed now when i do fall over which is actually quite frequently i don't actually tear the skin as much as i used to because the the skin's in really really nice um supple condition as well and then massaging it in um my muscle soreness is you know almost non-existent and, and even at crossfit this morning you know i've been I've had one rest day in 12 days and she, the coach sort of said, you know, how, how are you feeling getting back into it? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm physically, I'm tired, but I've not got muscle fatigue at all. And that's, that's been really um, one of the main benefits for me as a busy person on the go, not having to stop my training because, you know, I'm tired and my muscles hurt and, you know, I just can't keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you need that outlet and, if your body gives up on you first, that can that's not good. You, you, and I, I can relate to that. Um, okay, so talk to me about how, in a space where nobody existed five years ago, particularly in the UK, um, to suddenly it's a space everybody wants to get into. How how do you cope with that? How what's what's your plan? What's the plan? Well, we see people coming into the category as a really good thing because what the CBD category needs is uh, needs some sort of legitimization, really. And, and the job that we've all got to do is to educate the consumer as to what sure. CBD is, why it can help them. Um, you know, and, and going back to your opening question, you know, what is CBD? Um, you know, when people have heard of it, you know, they'll link it to cannabis. Um, you know, I often get asked, you know, jovially now. So obviously you've gone from selling booze to being a drug dealer. Um, you know, the, the level of kind of education that is required is, is, is high. So we see more brands coming into the space or more legitimate brands coming into the space is a good thing. Um, you know, again, coming from a booze background, you, you need more than one brand in a space for it to be a category as well. You know, if we were the only CBD brand out there, then we're never going to get any traction because no one's going to give us any space on shelf and no consumers are really going to buy into it because it will remain very niche. Yeah. Um, so we see the opportunity to um, make CBD accessible to a mainstream consumer. So that doesn't mean just with the one brand that we've got in the market at the moment, you've got to have, you know, different propositions for different channels um, and that target different consumers because the, 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 the benefits of CBD are so far reaching from being able to help an older person that, um, you know, might garden and walk a lot but you know just through wear and tear of, of being older you know they've got some pain that they're looking to manage and um, they've got some niggles and um, they might have skin complaints you know so if they apply sun cream when they're going out for 
you know, a walk or something, you know, it inflames, it aggravates their skin, um, you know, and, and they could benefit from the skin calming properties of CBD within that sun cream. But so their requirement for it is completely different to their professional um, athlete, you know, who, like we said before, really wants to be able to perform every day, train hard, you know, and not get, um, you know, muscle fatigue regularly. So we see we see brands coming in um, as a good thing. Um, it legitimizes the space. It helps from an education perspective, and it kind of helps to break down some of those entry barriers to the category by consumers seeing more CBD brands out there. Um, our game plan, as I just alluded to, is uh, you know we don't want to be a one trick pony. You know, there's not a one size fits all. So it's about you know portfolio and category segmentation and putting propositions together that are specific to consumers um, and different groups of consumers needs so it feels like you know my next question before I ask it and I promise the listeners we haven't we haven't prepped any of this but you've touched on something there um you can't please all of the people all the time so a lot of businesses that I've worked with uh, businesses I've consulted for they take one product to market and then they try and sell it to everybody you're describing the absolute opposite of taking multiple products to market and categorizing into niches. Why why are you taking that approach? Uh, because one size doesn't fit all. Yes. And not everybody is gonna buy the brand that we've created as a start point. You know, it's um it, it's it's designed for an active uh, consumer, it's unisex, it's um the product range we refer to as a kit bag of essentials. So it's targeting a consumer that is very different from, for example, you know, a supermarket shopper. Um, you know, the price point's different. Um, the products are different. The look and feel and smell of them is completely different as well. So um, we'd be really naive and, and quite frankly, really stupid if we thought that the CB Plus brand, we could just put everywhere in the market and this thing's going to do really well and everyone's going to buy it and, 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 you know, want to use it. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think, I think you, obviously you, you've got an advantage in the fact that you've come from a background where the market's hugely diversified. So if you're working in wine or gin, there's gins at the lower end of the market. There's ultra, ultra premium gins. Same with wine. Um, a lot of people listening to this podcast, starting out in business, uh, maybe very established in business, don't know about that kind of market diversification. And... They don't necessarily understand that just because something is brilliant and works doesn't mean it's for everyone. And I guess what what I'm asking is, how did you decide what to go to market with first? How did you know what how to diversify and what your next adventure is? And, and from there. Okay, so we started with the CB Plus brand because... Um, so Tim and I are both active um, people. So we kind of we come at it from quite different spaces. So Tim's, um, he gardens a lot, he's outdoors a lot, hikes, um, swims, um, you know, and he's got a large family as well. So they're, 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 they're active people. Um, and he feels the, the wear and tear and, um, of life, um, shall we say, and, and, and was aware of the benefits of CBD and was using it obviously before I was. Um, as I've alluded to, my life's been built around being active as well. So there was quite a, we're almost building during the research and the development um, part of building the product range. We were our own case studies really as a start point. And so that was quite a logical first step. 
when you also look at um, sort of the active or participation sport in the UK, you know, there's 6.6 million regular runners in the UK. You know, that's a huge community of people that, yes, you'll have some that are just running once a week or twice a week, but you'll have some that are taking it seriously, you know, running, they're getting good for age qualifications in marathons and things like that. So you've got a real diverse of, um, spread of consumer there, um, but they've all got one thing in common, and that's that they run and that they want to look after their body probably mm -hmm. to, to help them continue to do that. So if you look at active people, it, it, it's yes, you can break even that 6.6 .6 million group of um, million runners down, but you, you've got an active community there, um, and it's similar in all different sports, that you can that, that understand the language that you're talking about. They understand what you're trying to do with the brand. And they're almost not pre-sold, but you've you've de-risked um, some of the category entry around CBD because you're building products that are specific for them. Yeah. So um, or for an active person rather. So that was why we wanted to go with kind of CB plus and an active brand as a start point. It also makes getting the products market. There was more logic there from you can have a direct to consumer website. You know, a lot of consumers in this space are used to buy in directly from brand owners or via affiliate groups or companies like Wiggle. Um, you know, we, we've got um, a partnership with Rafa Cycling. Um, you know, so our products are available in the Rafa Manchester Clubhouse, you know, and these are these are where you can build communities um, through your products, both on your own website and through independent retail and then through, you know, advertising online and building a social media following versus building a very mainstream retail brand as a start point that basically requires someone that owns 500, 600, 700 stores plus to say, hey, yeah, I'll give you a shot. I'll put your CBD brand in all of my stores. Um, and, and, and if you're going to build a brand and go there first, then it's going to take a lot longer and you're going to, um, it's going to be more difficult for you to prove your case, the consumer demand, get the feedback. Um, and as we all know, as brand owners or entrepreneurs or whatever the phrase is, that there is a lot of trial and error that goes in in the early stages as well. So you'd be spending a lot of time before you even get to being in front of the consumer um, with a brand built for that or built for a mainstream retailer um, before you've got the, you know, without, without getting the products out there. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful advice. I think, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly because of programs like Dragon's Den or um, that kind of thing, Shark Tank in America, they think, Oh, I've got a product and now all I need to do is take it to a major retailer and job done. <laughs> and, so it's so, and I spent my life selling to the, the supermarket. So, you know, we're in the wine days, I looked after Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Tesco. Um, I, I launched them into, I launched wine brands into major retailer in Australia, Hong Kong, and China as well. And it's it's no easy fee. Um, you know, one of the brands is, as you know, with the, within within our bioactive health portfolio, we're talking to the major retailers here in the UK with, but it's a long process. You know, there's two ranging windows a year um you, you know that are generally six months apart and you'd be working definitely as we've been doing on you know on a category that's as new as cbd you, you're working almost 12 to 18 months out because there's so much work that's got to go on in the background um with these guys to get you to a point that they feel the proposition is is right and that the timing's right so um yeah on one hand working with a big supermarket or a big retailer such as boots or Superdrug, for example is amazing holland and barrett you know, it's great because the volume's big. You look at a pipe full order thinking, great, my opening order is going to be like, you know, 50, 60,000 units. 
But the time it takes to get there um, with no sales beforehand um, is it's it's a long lag period, yeah. you know. And, and I'll go back to my earlier point: you're not n- during that time, you're not engaging your brand with a consumer. Um, now you can, you could front load your marketing and spend hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds getting your brand out there, but they can't buy it anywhere. Yeah. So then you create frustration. And, you know, I've had some experience for that working with a startup soft drinks brand. You know, we did a lot of consumer sampling and activation work around the country, at um, leisure centers and things. And and then when everyone asks, oh, where can I buy it? And they've tasted it and they love it. And you're like, well, here in, you, you know, the, the um, Guildford Spectrum, when you come on a Saturday and the mum says, well, can I buy this for my kids to take to school? No, we don't have a retail listing. You know, you create as much frustration with your brand, with a consumer, um, as you do for yourself. So um, it's not great ideas and supermarkets um, or mainstream retailers aren't. It's not always the most logical first step. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So what what's the biggest challenge you've had so far? Probably everybody, every business owner's um, biggest challenge if you're creating a consumer goods brand is probably um, cash flow, mm-hmm. cash. You know, how do you how do you finance it? Um, you know, how, how do you get into production? You know, we, 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 we've done all of that. We've self-funded it um, to date, um, which is difficult. Um, we're, we're looking to raise investment at the moment to obviously help with the consumer marketing and getting the brand out there and obviously fast track um, the other couple of brands that we've got in the, in the, in the stable ready to go as well. But yeah, I would say the biggest challenge is cash flow in a business um, in, in the infancy. Um, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure you can relate. I can. Yeah. I think, you know, with the nature of what I do, 50% of the businesses we deal with are, are in that, that place of, of you know where's the next paycheck coming from and they can they can see it and they can model it but the reality versus what actually happens is is not it's not always a nice pretty model you know uh talking to the team that growth curves aren't actually a thing you have growth steps and the problem is that on steps you have plateaus and, and nobody likes a plateau so it's um but when you when you then take a step back and look at how far you've come, it's incredible. But it's just never going to be that perfect diagonal that you that you wish it was. And I think that's a a really important point for anyone looking to launch a brand or a product or to get into the supermarkets or to get into even independent retailers. Is how are you going to make sure that you survive long enough for it to become viable? Absolutely. So. Talk to me about how your experience in the wine and gin sector has really helped so far. Well, uh, it definitely helps um, at the end of the day when I can <laughs> a nice bottle of wine um, <laughs> or rather um, an affordable bottle of wine that I know is going to, uh, I'm going to feel like I've got good value for money for okay. while I'm putting on my money the new business um how's it helped so uh i've been very fortunate actually in the especially with the wine company that i worked for because i joined it in quite an embryonic stage um of its life cycle as well the guys were the three guys that set the brand or the business up and i joined them two years in so um there was that real kind of startup culture there as well so i got a lot of exposure early on um i was managing national accounts at quite a young age as well and and that's probably where my 
understanding of how the supermarkets work or dealing with large volume customers works full stop and and exposure to managing the P&L um you know because I did that at a very young age and and probably one of the biggest bits of advice I was given was whenever you're asked for marketing money or to spend anything which again as you know Joel was a business money you get asked a lot is you know if it was your money would would you see it as a good investment and so even when I was employed and working in the wine trade and looking after big supermarkets, um, also working with smaller independents as well, but that that really resonated with me. And every time that I was asked about something, I, I really analysed it. I didn't just go back and sort of say to the to one of the owners, you know, oh, well, if we spend this money, we'll, um, you know, they'll give us this exposure or we'll get this listing, you know, because listing fees used to be quite a big thing yeah. back in the day as well. And um because I knew I was going to be greeted with, okay, so if that was your cash, if, if that's your coming out your paycheck, is it a worthwhile investment? So I think um, wine um, wine was quite subjective as or very subjective as well. So dealing with buyers, you're dealing with a lot of um, opinion as opposed to statistical um, analysis of where a consumer's at. Um, you know, so you'd often go to a buyer meeting and instead of looking at the sales performance, we'd be talking about the residual sugar levels of the wine because the buyer wanted to adjust it, um, which probably meant a buying trip to South Africa to for them to come to the winery and, and, yeah. and tweak the wines. And, and there was this subjective, um, yeah, so like a subjective lean to the, to the, to the buying, I suppose. And I, and I think my experience with, so far with skincare, which is where we sort of see ourselves sitting or with CBD with, as a category that's emerging is that there's more because there's not that many statistics out there for the category as it is at the moment. There's more of a subjective opinion about where it should be going, what the products maybe should look like, um, you know, or how they should be positioned. That's more subjective as opposed to um, actually can be consumer driven at the moment. And that's because there's not as much insight. So. I suppose some of the learnings that I got from the wine trade of, uh, will help me with those buying buying meetings because um, it allows you to remember so you've got to always try and bring everything back to the consumer because uh, not that the customer's always right, but consumer-driven insights and consumer-driven demand is, is, if that's at the heart of what you're trying to do, ultimately you'll be, I would say, 90% of the time going in the right direction. And if you can communicate that to whoever you're trying to sell to, then that, that that will cut through yeah no that's that's a massively important thing um that gets that gets very lost i think it's very easy as any business owner of any size to uh start to believe your own hype and get caught up in your own product or your own brand or or whatever it is your, your own service and actually when it comes down to it it's whoever's consuming it should be driving the feedback into that into that brand so on that, and I know you're obviously working with buyers at the moment, so you have to be careful what you say, but what do you do when you're sat in front of buyers and they're throwing opinion at you rather than dealing with fact? Oh, I mean, going back to probably easier to go back and talk about it from a wine perspective, but I, I would try and bring it always statistically back, you know, so I'm, I'm a bit of a numbers geek as well. So I used to love my Nielsen data and getting my AC Nielsen reports on a monthly basis and, you, you know, average price points, market share, distribution points, how the retailers are changing as well. Um, I used to love that. And I think if you, if you can get involved in, in the data for that level, it's, 
it's easier to take somebody away from their opinion. You can be respectful, um, but you can say, you know, and with the wine conversations, a lot of the time, you know, it would be brought back to the average price for a bottle of wine. You know, let's be realistic about the consumer that we're talking about that's buying the products that you want to talk about. You don't like the flavor. You don't think that our Merlot is as good as someone else's Merlot. That, that's absolutely fine. And I respect your, um, you know, your opinion on that. And, you know, I, I might like someone else's more than I like my own. But statistically, we're selling this amount of product. And this is the average price of a bottle of wine at the moment in the UK, specifically within the category we're talking about. So we're not we're not we're not doing badly here you know we're up our sales performance is up or whatever the numbers would allow you to bring them away from their opinion to get back to you to making your point that to me is the easiest way to deflect because or not to deflect but if you're speaking with fact over opinion it there will come a point that that will that will cut through you know these guys are there to that they're paid to do a job they're paid to make money for whoever they're working for and they're paid to sell products and at the end of the day if you can politely remind them of that and make them feel you know actually we're doing a great job it we shouldn't be arguing about the residual sugar level or the oak on this wine let's look at actually what we are doing we're doing a great job yeah and i think that's a really important thing for any business is to prove you're a safe bet is to show well look here's the here's the social proof here's the data the data analysis to show that actually this works so i'm making your life easy for you because i don't need your opinion and with all due respect don't let's let's not talk about that anymore <laughs> just buy the bloody thing <laughs> it's definitely and there's a big one at the moment you know within the cbd world so there's um, legislation that uh, is being brought in now so for the cbd oil which is what cbd is most yeah. widely known for which is a uh, it's classed as a supplement, really. So it's a, an oil that you take orally. So you'd put two drops um, or three drops, whatever your dosage is, under your tongue um, and hold it there. So because it's taken, it's ingested and it's uh, classified, therefore, as a supplement, the legislation has fallen to the Food Standards Agency um, to kind of police um, the purity um, yeah. and the quality of the products that are on sale in the UK and to absolutely verify that there is nil THC in those products because that's what the legislation is is specifying. So at the moment, when you're having conversations with more informed buyers of pharmacy groups and things like that, and um, sort of the sports, the, within the sports world, physiotherapists, you know, we've done some work with the SMA as well. You know, they'll ask the question about where are you with your FSA application? And do you know what? There's only 40 companies that have actually got an FSA food standards agency application in for this. It's called the novel foods application, which is what the legislation will be. So there's 40 companies. Now, if you think how many CBD brands there are out there and anyone that doesn't know what CBD is after this podcast, if you Google it, you'll be met with pages and pages of different brands. And basically what the legislation is going to say is that at, once they've approved or not approved there'll only be at the moment there's legally only 40 brands that should be being on being sold anyway you know and, and out of those some more of that will will fall by the wayside so going back to your point joel i think proving that you're a safe bet um you know and backing that up with the statistics of what you're doing socially um you know sales wise as well um you know and you and your associations you know genuine associations as well um it's really important yeah, hugely. And I think, that's a, without throwing too many rocks or naming any brands, um, for those that don't know, in the, in the CBD world, 
there are a lot of people selling direct to consumer th- through their website or, or whatever. And the only people testing the CBD content of their product is themselves. So, um, and that isn't the case with your brand. And so I must make that clear. But it's a frustration in the marketplace at the moment that it's a, um, it is becoming more regulated. And technically, it is regulated. But as, as you mentioned, there are still brands out there that, that aren't registered. Um, and you see this in, in lots of emerging industries where stuff comes to market and then over time, the, the wheat gets sorted from the chaff. Um, how, how have you dealt with that until now where you're bringing a legitimate product to the marketplace with values to genuinely help people mm. and you know that some of your competitors in inverted commas are bringing shit to to the marketplace i mean i suppose we've come to market um whilst the brand was um you know three and a half years in development we actually launched at a time that the um legislation had been announced um so we got our our application in basically at the same time that we were launching so one of the positive things for us with um any consumer um, sort of communication that we've had and with buyers, we've immediately been able to say, and this is our FSA application number. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, um, we've got full traceability of our CBD isolate that we use um, all the way back that includes the soil traceability. So we, we bolt and braces all the way through our, our system so that we know that we are, you know, untouchable from yeah. a, any issue with the product. And And I suppose dealing with, you know, every industry's got the riffraff, as we'd call them, or, you know, the cowboys that will, you know, muddy the waters. And and, and unfortunately, especially in something that a category that's as slightly controversial as being derived from the cannabis plant, um, you know, there's there's probably a little bit more of it um, within the CBD world. We have to work on the fact that, you know, we don't talk down about any brand. We never name any brands. You know, the, the legislation will come into place. Um, you know, it will be enforced, it will be policed. And what that will do by default is give the consumer some legitimate brands to choose from and it will give them the safety net that there's some brands out there that have got, you know, the, the rubber stamp of approval on their packaging, um, that they've got all the traceability um, and the batch analysis on their website. And there is, there's some good brands out there doing this already as well. It's not just us, you know, and, and as more of those brands come into the market, we just rest on the fact that, Consumers will become educated, you know, and they'll feel safe in trying the brands that, um, you know, are safe and legal to do so as, as all these other ones, basically, that they're, they're, they're cut out. Um, any reputable um, online retailer or physical retailer on the high street won't touch those brands. So it will become quite apparent to consumers very early on that if they've got their if their only route to market is through their own website, that actually there's. There's probably a reason for that, and therefore that they're not going to buy from them. They're going to buy through from one that they seen, heard of, you know, word of mouth will improve as or increase as well, um, and brands that they're seeing out and about in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess you could say it's a controversial product to an extent, but I suppose if you drank 100% alcohol, you'd be in a bit of trouble too. So it's... <laughs> Absolutely. But nobody yeah. bats an eyelid now because it's such an established market. It's it's that kind of 
Well, and, and, you know, long term, you know, we do we do absolutely see an opportunity with the legalization of THC as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that's too far in the future. And and, and again, you know, we've had a lot of this um, interesting conversations um, within the team and within the, the wider network as well. I mean, Aid, Aid McEwen, who's our MD, you know, he's um, got a huge background in um, huge amount of experience, sorry, in, you know, major retail from, you know, Asda, um, brand Asda all the way through to manufacturing and wine, beer and spirits trade as well. And even several years ago when he worked with Cobra Beer, um, they were talking about THC, the legalization of THC and how they incorporate that into their plans, you know, for the yeah. future. Um, you know, and how is THC consumed? You know, smoking it won't be trendy. Yeah. Um, you know, is it is it going to be consumed in a shot? Is it an additive to, you know, um, drinks that already exist out there or will it become an entirely new format? So, um, I, I, you know, what two, two big things that come out of any of the booze companies that are doing research on THC are that um, one of these might make you laugh, but and they shared this with us was that um, the feedback from consumers is when well they, one of the big things they don't like is how they look when they've been drinking. Yeah. You know, on photographs, because we look disheveled. You know, you can tell someone's had a skinful. Um, you know, and then the second thing is the calories. You know, you've got two really big things that are putting off definitely a young consumer coming through because I think uh, I'm a bit out of touch with the statistics, but um, you know, the 18 to 25 um age bracket it, a couple of years ago had the lowest um alcohol consumption rates that had ever been here in the uk yeah. you know as people are more into fitness more into they were more aware of um you know how they look after their uh, how they look after themselves and obviously in a world of selfies and instagram you know people don't want to be photographed looking half cut you know so um so how the the, the legalization of thc in the future transpires um for the generations coming through and how it's consumed i think is, is a really interesting one yeah that's fascinating i think um anyone that's visited sort of california or west coast canada will have seen um a fascinating marketplace you know i, I <laughs> a true story i uh, i went with my wife to um british columbia and we went for a coffee and a donut before we went on a whale watching trip um and it panned out. It was the funniest whale watching trip we've ever been on, but because we just didn't realise that we'd both just eaten donuts with edible THC in. Oh, brilliant! And it wasn't. It was so blasé that they, it, you just bought it. It wasn't. You, you wouldn't know unless you unless you really delved down. So we every time the boat rocked or hit a wave, we were just laughing our heads off, and we were both looking at each other. Why are we laughing our heads off? And then and then it dawned on us that. It was a, a special coffee shop. Oh, <laughs> what a story. Yeah. Did you go back for more? Uh, it was a bit of a, my wife's a bit of an adventurer. So we were, we had sort of 20 days flying around uh, with lots of driving. So we're, we're responsible drivers and and, and, course, and didn't go for second dibs. But it was that kind of, it was so mainstream there already, and it it was only just on the cusp of legalization. I'm not even sure if it was fully legal at that point. Um, but the, it was it. Then we noticed it everywhere. It was in it was in you know gummies, which is CBD. You get in gummies here, obviously. Um, it was in drinks. It was in food. It was in uh, 
cream, skincare, everything, and all for different reasons. You know, some some of it was genuinely just to get high. Um, some of it was for people with anxiety. It, there was a, a really massive range, and it, and we're just on the cusp of that now becoming an absolutely explosive marketplace, ne- nearly worldwide. There'll be obviously mm-hmm. the obvious countries that are just never going to embrace that, but some of those countries don't have alcohol yet. So. Um, what does that look like for you guys if if that happens? Well, I mean, it's next. It's an exciting, uh, exciting thing for us if it if it happens. And um, I mean, obviously, THC. We wouldn't the products and the brands that exist today within kind of the bioactive health portfolio wouldn't all of a sudden just start containing THC. Sure. Um, or, or not, and obviously, topically, it wouldn't it wouldn't have an impact. But we we're definitely looking ahead at um what the range would look like and and how we would capitalize on that or exploit the opportunity rather um of thc being legal and and how we get that to the consumer um it's definitely part of the research groups that are that are going on at the moment that's fascinating i'm not going to say any more than that. no no i completely <laughs> understand so my last question and i asked this question to every guest and it's got nothing to do with what we've been talking about but what's your favorite film and why oh. Sort of pre-warn me about that. No, no, you, um, you judge a person film. by this answer. Oh, I'm rubbish at films as well. Um, oh, Training Day. Oh, it, yes. I always get the guy, um, the guy wrong. It's Samuel L. Jackson, isn't it? No, it's Denzel Washington. Then, right there we go. I always get the guy wrong. Yeah, Denzel Washington. Yeah, Training Day. Denzel Washington. I love that Eth- Ethan Hawke. You love it so much, you remembered the actor. I always get uh, yeah I always get it wrong I always say it's the wrong person in it and but training day yeah so when I have to think about what about the film it's the I'm not good with films I don't watch a lot of films probably because I don't have time um or I'm sorry I prioritize making time for other things than watching films um it's the it's the film that I could watch over and over again and there's very few of those yeah no I get I just think it's a great I love how the policeman gets he gets sucked into a world of corruption, you know, he, yeah, yeah, but he was never ever going to, and 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 then how you realise, oh yeah, I just I, I think it's a great film. Nice, Haley, you've been an, an awesome guest. Uh, there's so many takeaways from this podcast. I can't wait for people to hear it. Thank you for coming on the Stay Hungry podcast. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs>